Craig Cummings is the co-founder and general partner of Moonshots Capital. He actively invests and advises technology startups, many of which are founded by military veteran entrepreneurs. Before Moonshots, Craig co-founded and was COO of Ride Scout, a mobile app that shows users how to get from point A to point B by providing real-time ground transportation information. Ride Scout was acquired by Daimler, Mercedes-Benz, in 2014. Craig has founded and built several other companies and organizations, including Upskill, which develops augmented reality software for smart glasses to enable the hands-free industrial and commerce workforce. Craig is a U.S. Army veteran who served for 17 years, most of which were spent as an intelligence officer supporting the National Security Agency. He holds a PhD from Columbia University and is a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, where he was their first Truman Scholar. Craig, welcome to Frontline Founders, a podcast that showcases military veterans who've gone on to success as founders and builders of technology companies. Hey, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. Pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you, Craig. Craig, let's get started by talking about what, what you're doing today. What do you do today as a general partner at Moonshots in your own words? Sure. I, I hunt Moonshots. I'm a, in the venture capital business now, and you know we're looking to find that next Uber Lyft. We're investing in technology companies, and we're looking for great leaders big ideas and big market opportunities. We, I could talk a little bit about our stage. We tend to invest a little bit on the early side, but we're also opportunistic. So we're usually leading seed rounds with checks of anywhere from $750,000 to $2.5 million. And then we take positions on the board usually, roll, proverbial roll up the sleeves and tuck in with that founding team and buckle in, head for the moon. We'll trace back through your your military service in your own time as as a um, operator entrepreneur. Now you are a investor and an entrepreneur as well. Um, could could you just talk briefly up front about why Moonshots is is so relevant to military veterans? Well, you know, our thesis is that we invest in extraordinary leadership. So that in and of itself is very relevant to military veterans because we know that the military veteran has great leadership DNA. And we've been trained. Millions of dollars have been plowed into us to become great leaders. So there's, there's a natural alignment of our thesis with the military veteran. That said, you don't have to be a military veteran for us to invest in your company. Uh, I, in, our, in our first fund, 36% of the companies had a military veteran on the founding team. 36% had a black or brown founder and 21% had a woman on the founding team. So the military, great leadership chops, as, we, as so many in this call know, but it's not exclusive to military veterans, of course. And we've organically, as you just heard, we, we are what we call highly non-traditional and not just diverse because, you know, a lot of our military veterans are, are white men. And so we, we, we use the word non-traditional. And so in our fund one, for example, 86% of that fund 
consisted of non-traditional, had non-traditional founders on the team. Right, right. That's that's terrific that you've been able to execute on this this thesis through through moonshots, both for veterans and other um, non-traditional founders, Craig. Well, well Renny, this, this, I'll just pull a quick thread there. What we found in with the diverse founders is we, we see that like military DNA. We see they cannot fail, run through walls because they probably had to run through a wall to get in the room with us, to get to the table, to pitch us. And so that sort of resilience and grit, we think, is very much like the DNA of the military veterans. So we have zero quotas, to be clear. We have no quotas on veterans or women or people of color, but, you know, our North Star is leadership, and that's where we've landed. Fund 2 is looking very similar in terms of its demographics. And as we uh, as we think about leadership, let, let's transition to your own time in the military, Craig, but before getting to your entrepreneur time. What was your your call to serve or how did you end up at, at West Point, Craig? Uh, that's a great question, Renny. Um, and the answer probably won't, will not be surprising. My father was an Air Force officer. My mother was a Department of the Army civilian. And both of my brothers went to West Point ahead of me. And so my, my joke is that we didn't have family reunions. We had family formations. Right. So, you know, it's sort of you, you be what you see. And I think I got used to going, making trips to West Point, big rings, parades, Army Navy football. And um, I knew that was the premier leadership school in the country. And that's where I wanted to be. So it's, it's become a nice family tradition, the shared military service. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and Craig, I believe that, that you ended up serving for a, a pretty nice chunk of time as an army officer. It, it would be impossible in, in this short a time to trace through your entire career, but would love to hear some of the highlights of your military service, where you served, in what capacity you served, um, the general time frame in which you you served and and led in the army. Sure, Renny. Well, as a headline, a lot of people out there know that I was the guy that resigned from the army in my seventeenth year, and it happened to be the day that the service obligation, which I we now call the earnout, if you will, for having done a PhD while I was on active duty, and then I taught at West Point. But the the Short story is graduated uh, in 1993. I was an armor officer for a handful of years through what's called branch detail, where you get sort of sort of frontline tactical leadership training. And then I became an, an intelligence officer. And then that entire time in intelligence was actually with NSA and what Army, what's known as, as INSCOM inside of the army. So I was armor officer, intel officer, popped out, did a PhD, taught, taught at West Point, Afghanistan, back to DC at NSA, everything was going great. But I was watching some friends start companies. I'm like, that really appeals to me. And so literally the day that I had, had 
paid back the time I owed the army. I left and it, it, it was, it was going to be a great decision or it was going to be a horrible decision and quick story I'll tell. So I, I get out of the army. Two weeks later, my wife finds a lump on her breast. Two weeks later, she's having double mastectomy followed by reconstruction, followed by chemo. Fast forward to startup and we had about 45 days of cash in the business. So I'm like, this may have been a really bad decision to leave the, the security blanket of the army. But we, we hustled, got a big contract opportunity with army intelligence. And next thing you know, we're off to the races. So it worked out. Mm, incredible. But, but that was the, that was a, uh, I mean, that those were days and weeks that are, are stained in, in your memory. For sure. Yeah. I, I was not telling my wife what the situation was on, on the ground with respect to the, the financial right. runway of the startup, but it worked out. Right. And, and, and Craig, you said many interesting things there from seeing some of your, your friends and, and, uh, former, uh, officers, colleagues get out and, and, and launch companies, but you did spend, you know, 17, 17 good years in, in uniform. Your, the, those 17 years were, it sounds somewhat different than, than many paths. You moved from armor into intelligence. You did a lot of the time with a intelligence community agency or affiliated with it. You got a PhD. You taught at West Point. Um, you, you really were able to, to pack a lot into that, you know, the, that time in the army. Could, could you maybe highlight a couple um, key moments, maybe the, the decision to move into the intelligence field from, from armor uh, as, as, as a first and, and relatedly, um, you know, to, to the extent that, that years later you, you can now talk about it, you know, some of the, some of the experiences, be, because from what I understand, your, your time changing from armor to intelligence might've been somewhat similar to what many of us ended up spending time on um, after, after nine 11 and, and counter terror, counter insurgency. No, that, you're right. You're spot on Renny. So the story really goes back to West point and I'd met my now still wife 20 and a half years later. And we both won Truman scholarships in undergrad and we just were fast. We got to, you know, tell love in a week, engage a month later, and then it married a year later. But when it came time to the branch decision, I'm like, all right, time for me to pick my branch. She said, well, what are you thinking? I said, I'm thinking aviation. I'm like, you get to wear a onesie, lots of patches, not marching in the mud. She's like, well, that doesn't sound like a great idea. I'm like, what do you mean? It's, a, it's a awesome. Apache helicopters. And uh, she said, well, what else could you do? And I said, well, I could do finance. I could do logistics. I could do infantry. I could do intelligence. And she's like, wait, wait, tell me more about that. And she goes, well, of all the 15 opportunities you just told me about, the, the one that stands out to the non-military person was intelligence. And that seems like a great career you could transition out of, out of Intel. So we, we sort of brokered a deal. This was always the way it was with our marriage in the army, where it wasn't what one person wanted solo. It was always the, it was the third win. And so thus the decision to go armor 
which had this program, and then in the, in the Intel. And so I literally, and I have a lot of, a lot of viewers and listeners understand this. I went from like tank motor pool, right, to National Security Agency at Fort Meade, Maryland. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. what are you guys doing here? But, you know, you, you take those leadership skills and you, you sort of figure out what, what you need to do. And what well, sounds crazy to use these words, but at that time, and this is circa 1997, the Army was just leaning into this thing called cyber. And so what we did, and I was pulled into this at NSA, is we took soldiers that were involved in attack, exploit, or defense mission, computer network attack and exploit and defense, and we put them in one company. We basically founded what was called Bravo Company, and it later became a detachment, later became a battalion that Jenny Easterly commanded, and became a brigade. I commanded that company. So now that I'm in the entrepreneurial business, it's, it's a, it's a little bit, I don't know. I, I think about, I, I framed it differently. Like it was kind of like the founding team of army cyber. I'm taking zero credit for that, by the way. It was just, that was when we were sort of figuring out that we had to have a military formation around this mission. Right. And those were, I mean, 97 was, was very early days of, of, of cybersecurity. And we've had a couple of other guests on this, on this, um, on this program, on the podcast, have um, been Army and, and Marine, respectively, about you know a, a decade, decade and a half, even after your time in Army Cyber and and, and Bravo Company, who it, it it still felt like early days for them for sure um, on 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 that mission. I just want to call out something you said, like so when I was at NSA in the late nineties. I mean, we were Osama bin Laden was like target number one. And then nine, but, but still Intel, we were still sort of at the table, you know, in the corner. That's just where Intel was at the time. Right. And then nine 11 happens and suddenly it's like, all right, Hey, you Intel officer, come up to the table, sit alongside us. And so it was an, it was exciting to be in that branch as it's relevancy, you know, perceived relevancy. It was always relevant it changed so dramatically. And, uh, you know, it was a fascinating career to be part of a national agency and see that national mission. But yet we're in a uniform working that mission with soldiers. Right. Right. And, and, and Craig would love to talk briefly about experiences in the army that set you up for entrepreneurship before we get into your big decision in 2010 timeframe to, to leave the army to pursue entrepreneurship full time. You just explained your time at the the very very beginning of of Army and, and cybersecurity with uh, with Bravo Company, but could you could you take a, a a minute here, you know, remembering that that a core part of our audience is is military veterans to talk about th- things that you realize now you've you've hammered on you've mentioned and, and hammered on leadership, um, you know, maybe it's so, some other skill sets that uh, that your time in the Army set you up for as an entrepreneur, and then we'll go into the actual entrepreneur part of your career. Yeah, right. I think, um, you know, problem solving would be number one. And this is, you know, this is core to the army challenge, if you will, 
if given a problem, develop a solution. And I, I think the way I was, and I, and I know many, if not all of our listeners who are in the military or previous military would say, give me the mission, I'll take the hill, Roger, and you figure out how to take the hill. And that's really what entrepreneurship is, is about. I mean, it's about identifying a problem, figuring out a solution, and then taking that hill. And so problem solving skills too, and I'm sort of like, you know, leadership is just, is, is key. We think nothing is more important than that. I'll, I'll skip past that for now. And, but, you know, being a member of a team, right? And, and sort of playing well with others and understanding that there's no way you're gonna know everything that you need to know on the outside as an entrepreneur through your military training, but you have such great core DNA and core competencies that you can bring in the right people if you could be a good team player. And so you, as we look at these companies, we start to, we start to suss out the eyes versus the we's. And I think that most of our veterans think in a we and not an I, and that's, you know, that's an indicator of, of being a good team player. So problem solving, team player, and of course, anchored by leadership. Right. Right. And again, we'll, would love to at some point hear much more about those, those years in the military. For now, though, yeah. let's move to your, your years as an entrepreneur operator. I'll, before we go entrepreneur operator, I'll just say one thing that the, 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 the listeners may get a kick out of this. As a, you know, you heard what my wife thought of like me going into aviation. And whenever we, it came to the time to make a decision on talking to your branch manager, personnel officer, where are you going to go next? <laughs> my, my, my wife's takeaway was, you know, if the Army tells you to go this way, the best thing for our family is going to be this way, right? And so that that's how I ended up in a army to intel into strategic, doing a PhD, which was a three year tour up to West Point, back out in the army, and then I got into the right jobs, deployed. So it was a matter of kind of doing the things that seem most exciting, best for the family, location wise. And that was the roadmap. And so when you put it together, it, it, it is, it's quite a mosaic. It's, it's not a, a normal army career. That's right. That's right. And it seems like it both enabled you to, to serve the army well and, and your family and, and has certainly set up, helped set up your, your success as an entrepreneur and, and, and now as a leader of, of an investment firm. Craig, when you left the military, to partner with um, someone you knew before a friend or colleague to start or, or become part of a, a early stage company. Talk us through that decision-making process and, and tell us about, about that company and its journey. Well, I, I had realized, Rennie, that I really wanted to like see the proverbial needle, if you will, in an organization. And, and this was as I became a more senior major. And I, you know, I left the military about three weeks before I was going to pit on Lieutenant Colonel. 
but I felt like I wanted to see the needle, grab the needle, move the needle. And so I started thinking in terms of like small, smallish company. And then meanwhile, and we have a shared friend here, Guy Filippelli, who was also working at NSA. And we had both seen this problem along with Sean Lane and, and Nick Callum, our other partners, of getting data moved around a battlefield. And so, you know, soldiers or of all services for that matter would go out to an objective. They would come across the proverbial bad guy. They would take bad guy cell phone document information, and then have to drive it back right to a base. And there was a lot of hazard in doing that. So we said, what do you think about having a cellular phone network on the battlefield? And we knew what the answer was. We knew the answer was going to be yes. And we just, that hadn't been done before. And so what we ended up doing is I left the military and then ended up essentially going back and talking to my colleagues and saying, Hey, we're developing this capability to move data on the battlefield, the way we move data in the United States, because really it was still push to talk. It was, that was still the predominant way to to move data on the battlefield. So this was like, wait, it's gotta be secure. It's gotta be mobile. It's gotta be ruggedized. And that's what we embarked to do was to build software. And we got involved in the hardware, but we built software that facilitated the deployment of cellular networks on the battlefield. And then the Army G2, so the senior Army intelligence officer, said, this is what I want to do. Let's let's scale this. And so we ended up selling our software to the Army G2. Like, Mm. just... Like, there you go. It's essentially selling our company to the Army Intel. It was the core product. And then we developed another company behind it that would do services on that product. But I don't need, need to go into the weeds. But right, I think the entrepreneurial lesson is we, we knew our customer. We knew the pain point. Yep. We built the solution to go right after it. And that software is still being used today around the world. Right. And what, what years was this, Craig? So I left the military in 2009 Mm -hmm. and then we we ended up selling that software. I think it was 2012. So it was pretty, pretty fast. Right. And I just think about we're, we're, you know, we're, we're 10 years later, it's 2022 and defense tech or getting good technology in the hands of the Department of Defense, the U.S. military is a a real topic amongst entrepreneurs, technologists um, at at senior levels of of the Defense yeah. Department as well. You were able to achieve this and a a secure, mobile, and ruggedized network for austere environments and and the military. That 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 seems like you and your current capacity as an investor might, might see a pitch deck that looks like that today. Right. And, and you were doing this yeah. 10, 13, 10, 12, 13 years ago. So really, really just notable and, and laudable that you were able to, to pull that off um, and, and, and get that technology successfully in the hands of, of the right team 
in the military who, who was able to, to see that this was a, a critical need. Um, that was more of a statement than a question, Craig. But, but if you have any reaction to that, I'd, I'd love to just hear. My reaction is I've been so fortunate to have unbelievable business partners. And that my, my journey out of the military was started with Guy Filippelli and Nick Hallam at Barrico. And then it was Sean Lane and Vita Ness mm-hmm. company, the cellular company. And we had Alex Watson and Chris Hoyt. We had this team and it was just, a, it was literally an all-star team, which is only, I mean, like if you look at Sean Lane right now is start a company called Olive, which is now north of $4 billion. Alex Watson started a company called Harvest AI that he sold to Amazon, started Gretel, and Gretel is a four, like, it's a Mars shot. It's not even a moon shot. And if you look at what Guy Filippelli, you know, you know the, the Red Owl, you were part of that, Rennie, that exit, like, th- this whole team. And now, and then Joseph Copster, Ride Scout, unbelievable partner. Kelly Purdue, unbelievable partner. So I feel like I've, this goes back to sort of being a good teammate, right? I don't, I don't have, I wasn't able to build that software for the cellular network, but I knew the right people to talk to about selling it and then, you know, helping inspire the company to build something like that. Right. And, and those are, those are terrific points, Craig, about teammates, the, Many of those people you mentioned are, are military and or intelligence community veterans. And part of the hope here is that, you know, the, there are more and more examples like you and, and those people you mentioned who um, ha- have built and led operating technology businesses. And, and now some of those folks are on the investment side. Some, as you said, continue to, you know, build another operating company and, and hopefully bigger, bigger and bigger each time. Craig, let's talk about a couple of your other entrepreneur entrepreneurial endeavors, and and, and then maybe a bit of angel investing, and 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 wind up with with moonshots. Um, Ride Scout, um, the, un, unlike um, your your prior company BTS, Ride Scout, from from what I understand, was was not um, not aimed as much at at the military as as its core buyer up front. What would love to hear how how you and, and the team came up with that and 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 what that what that journey was like and and maybe we'll follow up with uh, with with Upskill as well. Sure. Well, Ride Scout was inspired by the one and only Joseph Copser, who was my West Point classmate, and so we'd known each other, you know, all of our adult lives. And you're right; it, it did not have a a defense play, if you will. It was sort of private sector commercial, but however, it was it was inspired by Joseph's commute to the Pentagon from Arlington, hmm. and he just he has to hyper optimize everything in his life, and he said, "I'm you know trying to figure out: do I bike? Do I bus? Do I carpool? Do I take a zip car? Do I take a car to go?" And we had a conversation. I said, "Well, Joseph, let's let's tease out if there's some some there there," and. So I, I basically, I said, look, I want to put some money into a, a USA checking account. And it was $5,000, which at the time seemed like $100,000. Joseph's like, wait, what? I'm like, go down to Austin, which he was going to be the PMS here. Tease out this idea and let's just keep talking about it. 
And so I, I, I would see in the USA, it was like bar, bar, restaurant, bar, 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 iPad, bar. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I'm talking to a lot of people. Everybody loves this idea that we need to aggregate transportation, right? Organize it by cost, organize it by time, and then choose the best option. And so I said, let's go, let's do this. Let's, let's start a company. And so that's pretty much how it happened. Then we just started to bolt on the talent. And your point earlier was, was spot on, Randy. Like all of these companies that I've done have been with other military veterans. So mm-hmm. perhaps what you get more than anything from the leadership, from the teamwork, from the problem solving is you get this massive family that's ready there to support you, that wants to work with you. And that's probably number one at the end of the day. And so I've, all my businesses up to today with Kelly Purdue, West Point 89, Army Intel officer have been with, with other veterans. Chris Hoyt mm-hmm. is my partner many years is the exception, but he's pretty much honorary military at this point. At this point, right. And and could you talk a bit about Upskill, which I believe has, has been around now for, for several years. Its technology seems very timely for the world we're, we're living in today in, in, in 2022, Craig. Yeah, it really is running. It's, it's taken a while, but uh, just to close out Ride Scout, we ended up sure. yes. in 2014. So just two years after we, about two and almost three years since we started it, we were out for series A, we got a series A term sheet. When we got the call from Daimler, maker Mercedes Benz, they're like, wait, 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 we want to talk about acquisition. And so we sold it to Daimler. And that's when I moved to Austin because they wanted us to be in Austin with another one of the portfolio companies called uh, Car2Go. But you're, you're right. So Upskill was inspired by the military and Sean Lane and I spun it out of BTS initially. So as we were developing the cellular network on the battlefield, it was like, well, what can we put into the battlefield to leverage that technology? And so <clears throat> initially it was augmented reality. But then at the time, it just made more sense to be a heads-up display. We partnered with Google Glass. But the use case was wearing the glasses as at checkpoints and then taking doing facial recognition, sending it back. All right, green light. Rennie's good. Rennie, Rennie can come through the gate. And there's, there's so many use cases for that glass. Uh, and that, that company, Upskill, sold to Team Viewer about this time last year. So that team okay. is... Away they go. And then Millie. Yes, Millie. Yes. Well, you know, the quick story on Millie, which people in this call will understand. You know, who's the most trusted population in the country year after year after year after year after year, right? U.S. military. Who moves more than any other demographic in the country? The U.S. military. Right. So the idea was... Let's create a, a network of eight real estate agents who are either spouses or veterans, and we'll call them agent heroes, and we'll have them be the agent, either for military or for not military, because mm. it comes to trust and when it comes to moving, and those are key to the whole decision to relocate, nobody's better. And so that company... Then it became Millie and it became a bigger than just the agents. The agents still, there's now about 1400 agents, agent heroes. <laughs> but Millie became like a go-to platform for the move. Like, okay, I'm going to Fort Bragg. I want to map the whole community. 
what, what's all the insider information. So all the, all the bases, this is a gomilly.com are mapped. And it's just like a very powerful resource for families, especially a lot of military spouses sort of lean on it. Uh, thus the name right. Millie. And that was with Jason Dempsey and Ken Robbins. And, you know, again, military veterans, West Point graduates, both of them House fellows, like top, 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 you know, 0.01% talent. And that company is still going today. I mean, they, the agent population, agent population grows and company just keeps grinding, grinding away. Terrific, Craig. And your, your, your military service and, and the years as a entrepreneur operator are, are tremendous to, to hear about. In this, in this last segment here, let's transition to your, your, really your, your next career, uh, which from what I understand when Moonshot started was about half a decade ago, but you'd also been, been angel investing from, I, I, I think. So could you talk about why, why start Moonshots? What, why did you feel the need to start it? What was, what, what was that origin story along with your, uh, your, your partner in Moonshots? Sure. So, Reddy, I, was, I had just finished my PhD at Columbia, and I was teaching at West Point when Kelly Perdue, West Point class of 89, won season two of The Apprentice, which was Donald Trump's show. Mm-hmm. So even though Kelly was out of the military by then and had gone to UCLA and then an MBA and a JD, because 30 million people watched that finale, he was the biggest name associated with the Army. And so I got the proverb, I drew the short straw. It was assigned, you're going to be the handler for Kelly Purdue. Bring him back up here to West Point. Speak to cadets and faculty. And so I, mm-hmm. I, was the, you know, I had that job. And many of us on this call have had jobs just like that. And he and I became fast friends in that visit. And then Kelly, after working a year in New York City, went back to L.A., became an advisor, an investor in LinkedIn, Pandora, Scopely, became one of L.A.'s, which he remains to this day, super angel investors. Mm -hmm. And then when I got out and I started to make some money, Kelly would say, hey, check this deal out. And I'd write a check. And then I started getting deals and I'd say, hey check this deal out. So we were in our investment book, if you will, we say chapter one was us as angel investors. And we, right. we were, we were kind of leading deals as a team, but we weren't teamed. And probably the biggest one that we, we teamed on was a company called ID.me where we hosted an event in DC. Kelly now was with Blake had asked him to join the board and we brought, we filled the room with angels. And for those who wrote checks, after that meeting, it's a very meaningful uh, event, at least on, on paper right now. So we, 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 we took a look at our body of work and we're like, all right, let's just, let's team, let's start Moonshots Capital. And at the time, <clears throat> AngelList had just stood up. And so it was allowed that the sort of super angel could lead a deal and take carry. And so then we started operating syndicates. What year was this that you were starting to formalize with Kelly by doing syndicates. That great. That was so that was 2014. Mm-hmm. I had been out of the military now about five years, right? And so we started bundling investors. We we'd get the deal flow was coming in and we would put together a hundred thousand dollar check all the way up to a three million dollar check. Fortunately that three million dollar check is in a company called Olive. 
<laughs> on lane, that's going to be a pretty seismic event. But we were then we were kind of operating like a fun and, and the SPV, just to be clear to the audience is, you know, we would have one vehicle, be one check and people would invest 5,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 or 25,000, 500,000. And then we would take carry. No, we weren't charging any management fees for that. So that was sort of like the, the bullpen, if you will, for the fund. And then the, the fund, it was circa 2016. And I had been selected for this fellowship in the Aspen Institute called the mm-hmm. Henry Crown Fellowship. And as part of this fellowship, you have to basically do something to make the world a better place. So I looked at what I was doing as a side hustle with Kelly as a side hustle. And we said, we think we're onto something here. At then, more about 75% of the what was about $11 million had been backing veterans. And so, again, we weren't exclusive, but we were heavy. And we said, let's, let's start the fund. Let's go from part-time to full-time. And we raised a, a $20 million fund one. The thesis being we invest in extraordinary leadership. We love the military DNA, but it doesn't have to be. And then we just did a fund two. We closed last year, 36 million. And we're about to raise a fund three targeting a hundred million. So that, and that's all. And so, so the, the fund one started in 2017 and then we did the first close in 2018. Craig, that, that sounds terrific on where Moonshots has, has gotten to. How has Moonshots been similar or different than your operating businesses. I would imagine you're still having to get out there and do sales in in many ways, i.e. raising capital for the fund from either individuals, families, or institutions. And you're out there working hard, trying to find and diligence great entrepreneurs. Spot on, right? I mean, I'm not operating, right? I'm not a C-suite, but I'm grinding the same way I did as an operator. And I think... You know, I think I had this idea that venture capital would there would be like a party up in Silicon Valley, and there'd be music playing, and you're drinking wine, and you reach up and you grab bags of money, you spin around and you start like deploying that money. But it is you have to raise that money, and it is hard to raise a fund. And I, I think one of my takeaways is I had no idea how much of a grind it was going to be to raise that first fund. Hearing Craig about your track record, veteran, successful entrepreneur, and very successful as well on the angel, super angel side, and Kelly's success as a veteran, a a business leader, and and an investor as well. You had a combined track record from these special purpose vehicles, yet it still was, it sounds like it wasn't a a snap of the fingers that that got you and Kelly that first... uh, that first pool of capital. Exactly. And, and, you know, we thought it would, and it definitely like warmed up the investor, but for, especially for institutional investors, right? It doesn't count until you're, you're officially a fund. And so we were leaning heavily on the, you know, the friends and family, people who had known us our entire careers uh, to invest in us. And so they, they took the plunge and about 70% of our fund one LPs came into Fun too. And many of the reasons some didn't come in just because that, you know, 
it was tough just to invest in, in fund one, but they, but they backed us. And so now we're now, the, you know, the tides are changing because the thing about VC is you don't know if you're any good at it until you've been doing it for seven to 10 years. And we, we call it affectionately a maybe get rich slowly pursuit. And, right. you know, things are really starting to pop now. And our, our fun one looks like it could be pretty like explosive with some things that are happening. Same with fun too. So, so now people are coming to us and, Hey, when are you raising the next fund? So it's still going to be a grind, but at least we have people asking us that question. Right. Right. But it, you know, similar to an operating business, a startup that the early days are, are very difficult. And then, then all of a sudden you, you, you flip over. And, and Craig, before we do a couple of wrap up questions, you yeah. mentioned that fund one and fund two both could be, you know, very meaningful for, for, uh, for the people that, that invested in, in, in those funds. And you talked at the top of, of this, uh, of this interview about a few, um, parts of moonshots and what's important to you. But could you mention a, you know, I'm sure each and every company is, is very important to you and to Kelly, but a couple of those companies that are, you know, driving those prospective returns, whether or not they were founded by a veteran? Sure. Well, well one of them, uh, you know, uh, headline fund one, and you know, Alex Watson, Rennie yourself, and he, he is just a force of nature. And when he sold his last company to Amazon, and we knew he was going to do something next. And we were like, Alex, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Alex, we're here. Here's a check. We'd write Alex Watson $1 million. We're like, we're sending this to your bank. And we just kept woodpeckering him and say, hey, how can we help? What can we do? What's going on? And so I think we just warmed down. And we, we actually, we had a great relationship through BTS and then through Harvest. And Kelly was on his board at Harvest that he said, all right, let's do this. And so we led the seed round. And then he's already, he raised an A. He raised a B. And there's just a lot of inbound right now. So Gretel, Gretel is, is going to be pretty massive. That's a standout. Mm-hmm. And that also, he has, a, he has a military veteran co-founder on that team as well. And then we, Zabo, which Air, Christopher Brown was an Air Force veteran. It was our first foray into crypto. It, it was called Zabo. It was called the Plat of Crypto. And we sold that fun one company to Coinbase uh, last summer. And so those were two sort of standout events. And so, and there's and not even talking about red six and the British veteran, Dan Robinson, red six is, it is moonshotting heavily. I'll just say that. So we have, we have some, some biggies in fun one and then fun two, we sort of, we opened up the aperture a little bit and said, okay, we're going to, you know, strike zone is still this late seed, but now we, Kelly and I have now made in the aggregate a hundred investments. And so a lot of these founders are, are raising subsequent yes. rounds. Right. And one of them is Blake Hall. And so we were able to get into ID me. There was basically about a billion dollars chasing a hundred million dollar opportunity. This was in a, in a billion five. So this is way later, right? But we just knew this is still a 10x plus and we, we were opportunistic and invested in ID me. So ID me is definitely one of the headlines of fun too. Right. Right. And Craig, let, let's wrap up with with just a couple of questions, which are, um, and, and you've done a great job addressing these already, I think, Craig. But but just as a wrap up question, given that a, a chunk of our audience is is military veterans, considering 
starting a new business, particularly a tech business. Um, so, so those sort of those related questions are things that you learn in the military that put you ahead as an entrepreneur and investor. Um, and then places where you might've been behind coming from the military background or put another way, what you had to work harder or, or smarter at being a veteran launching into entrepreneurship. So I, I think I'll just, I'll, I'll double down on the network comment and mm-hmm. that, that the, the power of the network, this is not only for the entrepreneur and find that investors, this is also for the transition too. like flex the network muscle to the max extent possible, whether that's in building a team, getting advice, finding investors. And that, that is, you know, can't tell you enough about, about using the network. Um, I think in, in terms of, you know, what it, I didn't know is, you know, the money just sort of fell from the sky when you're in the military, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, wait, 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 I got to go get the business to do payroll. And so like getting comfortable with talking about money and asking for money. And that's something you don't have to do in the military. But, you know, we figure it out. And I think for a lot of military, especially on the officer side, is we come out as generalists, right? And a lot of times you have to, what I say, find your Jedi, find that Jedi. And, you know, your skills and the, and the technical skills can make for uh, a beautiful team. Right. Craig, thank you so much for joining us on on Frontline Founders and wishing you continued success for you, the Moonshots team, and, and all of the portfolio. 